Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast. Everybody, I'm Jay Rowe with Dogs 24-7. Skip Adams, also of Dogs 24-7. And uh, a little different intro because we're happy. We're celebrating Braves win the World Series. Uh, we're so excited, man. Uh, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, it's basically all I tweet about. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm terrible at tweeting about for my job, but I love tweeting about the Braves. Kip and I messaged throughout every game. We had given up in the first last night whenever things got squirrely. Um, <laughs> I'm weak. I'm a weak man when it comes to the Braves. Uh, and uh, if you believe in curses, don't don't believe in this one anymore because it's broken. And uh, I don't really have much of a voice. And Kip, my cable went out last night. My cable <laughs> oh my went goodness. out. Freddie Freeman doubles. He's standing at second, like taking his batting gloves off, and it freezes. And then I hear, a, um, you know, got an 18-year-old uh, kind of – we're legal guardians, not necessarily adopted, uh, but he's been with us for about uh, uh, over two years now. And I hear in his room, he's playing NBA 2K, and I hear him go, man! And I was like, oh, then this is all down because <laughs> he had a game cut off right in the middle. And uh, so I had to hit the road and went to downtown Athens. I'm sure we're going to get to this later because I've already seen the mailbag questions, so I get a chance to talk about it more then. Went to downtown Athens, and uh, there was no parking, so I ended up having to watch it at a, at a friend's house that uh, so kindly took me in. Um, and, uh, wow, just just incredible. And, Kip, I know you had a lot of fun with it too, man. Oh, uh, you know, it's it's still kind of – I'm in that euphoria right now. I'm kind of in this this fog, like, did that really just happen? And – you know, as as adults, I mean, I was 14 when they won that won that last World Series, so it's just a different experience, and it's just incredible to watch everything come together. And I just want to apologize to Max Fried for ever doubting you when you got that foot stepped on and you took it to another level. You reached a realm that very few uh, pro athletes have ever reached, and you locked in. You found another gear. And that's that's really what it's all about, uh, you know, as far as the redemption stories, uh, just the resilience, uh, you know, in sports and, you know, the group of guys that, you know, everyone had kind of counted out. We watched them playing 500 baseball in August. We also watched them make all those moves at the trade deadline. We were pretty happy about it. I mean, how could we have known that we basically saw, uh, you know, moves that <laughs> Got got NLCS, you know, MVP, World Series MVP, you know, Division Series. Uh, you know, there were there were guys that came through at, at each stop along the way, but it was it was definitely a special moment to see Brian Snicker and Freddie Freeman, you know, get that 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 championship that they've been working so hard for. Guys that've been in this organization for a long time, and and that's what it is. I mean, the city of Atlanta. Now we get to have this parade on Friday, and it's it's. This is it. I mean, uh, we, we watched every single game just talking about how things were going to go bad at, poorly in every pitch, uh, Jake and I. That was just that mentality we kind of had because we've already seen just every single possible negative thing happen. And so you see Max get, his, get stepped on, fall awkwardly, uh, get the guy out. Once again, no replay. It was maddening. And then from that moment on, uh, the game was over. The Astros had no chance. He shut them down. Uh, did not a single walk in that game. That was incredible. That no no Astros walked in that game. And obviously, the you know we came through with, with more home runs and more you know more runs than, than we than we really needed. But 
you know, the fact that we're able to kind of enjoy that in the sixth and seventh and kind of just lock in and go, this is going to happen, uh, even though we weren't telling each other it was going to happen because that's uh, that's how baseball works. You don't want to mention it, but we, we were all able to enjoy that. And now we get to, uh, I guess, talk about some Georgia football. Yeah. And uh, I'll say this, well, a pardon shot on that. I, I hate to make it sound like I'm trying to get the last word here, but uh, Max Freed went from Max Freed to Mad Max. And uh, UK, call it what you want. It was, He put the Astros in a Thunderdome, put them in a, on a Fury Road, whatever you want to say. Uh, he uh, he kind of took them to town after that, 98 in that first inning. It's so fun to watch. And, uh, you know, Tell you what, man, I don't care who you root for. Obviously, people, most of the people, almost everybody listens to this show, Georgia fan. Hope you get to experience the team you love probably more than anything in the world, uh, experience a, uh, a championship because that, that um, I almost cursed. Uh, that That's fun. That stuff is fun. And uh, Georgia, on, on, on the night that the Braves win the World Series, um, the college football playoff committee does the very unsurprising thing and puts Georgia as number one in the country. Bulldogs, I guess you would consider, if you, you know, if you look at this from an all-American type standpoint and uh, and how those are done, this is a consensus number one football team right now. Uh, number one in the AP, number one in the coaches, and number one in the college football playoff uh, selection show. Uh, not selection show, but the uh, ranking show, the initial ranking show. And Georgia's going to be there as long as it keeps winning. And it has Missouri coming up on Saturday. And, Kip, before we jump into a break and grab these mailbag questions, what's your Wednesday lean on Missouri as Georgia is a 39-point favorite? I think that Georgia will score as many points on Saturday as Georgia would like to score. (laughs) That's my early lean right now. Uh, It just does not look like there's going to be a lot of resistance in Georgia's way. So I think, you know, whatever you want to try or whatever, you know, kinks you want to iron out offensively for Georgia, this might be kind of the weekend to start to get that going. But at the same time, like, I mean, if Kirby Smart wants to to get this thing over with quickly, then I mean that's his prerogative as well. As far as just trying to stay healthy and, and and get what you need to get done. I mean we've seen earlier this year that when he knows they got the other team beat, that you know he's going to run the offense that allows him to get off the field as quickly as possible and, and try to just minimize the potential for injuries. I mean once once you know you've won, uh, nothing else. I guess really matters in, in his mind. And I mean, it's, it's worked so far, whether that's what everybody wants to see. I mean, again, we'll see what happens on Saturday, but it just seems like Missouri is not set up well to stop Georgia in really any facet, whether it's run pass any, any, any aspect of what Georgia wants to do offensively, especially at the line of scrimmage. You know, we'll probably dig into this tomorrow, Kip, when we talk more, a lot more specifically about our predictions for the game. Um, but I see a lot of people talking about how poor Missouri's run defense is, and it's off. I mean, it's bad. But I don't necessarily think Georgia's going to come out and run the football 50 times. I mean, it might because of the game might get out of hand and they might run it for the entire fourth quarter. But I don't, I don't necessarily know that that's the way this one's going to go as far as the game flow and everything, simply because if Missouri's going to try to load up and stack the box and stop Georgia's run game, Georgia's going to throw it over the top of them because Missouri's not very good there either. This is one of those games, when you look at certain point spreads like 14, 17, 21, 
even even you know 24 25 you know i think those those point spreads cut, fall in the great teams good teams uh good teams win great teams cover 39 points is not that because 39 points is uh oftentimes does your coach really want to do it and i'm mm-hmm. not saying it's even on his mind but do you want to run the offense with five minutes left to go in the third quarter? Because I think that's the decision George is going to have to make. Uh, do you want to run the offense into the fourth quarter? That's another decision George is going to have to make. Is it? I mean, will it pop a few big runs late in the game? That's another one. Uh, George is a lot better than Missouri. Um, Georgia can go out there and win 35-7 or 49-14 or whatever. And I'm not going to – it's not going to change my mind as to whether or not Georgia's elite – uh, because I think if Georgia wants to win by 39, Georgia will win by 39. And, uh, you know, obviously this one being at home, being a noon game, we'll see how it kind of starts. But, you know, I, I do think Georgia's going to end up covering here simply because I don't think Missouri can stop them. And um, I think this is going to be kind of a a nasty defensive game for Missouri, a team that really wants to run the ball. They're going to do some things differently than what Georgia's seen this year with outside zone and and kind of stretch Georgia out a little bit. Uh, but but this is one of those games, one of the rare conference games where you want to get out of the game healthy and uh, and you want to get some guys a chance to play. And uh, I think George will have a chance to uh, to definitely do the latter and hopefully uh, do the former. Let's take a break here real quick. We're going to get a mailbag. All right, L. John 70. I'm going to take this one, Kip. Do you believe the play calling with JT in the game is much different than Stetson? I think Stetson could possibly make the same throws if given more opportunity. I really like the the way you put this question because I don't disagree. Um, I don't necessarily know that arm talent is the differentiator between these two guys. I think it's field vision. I think it's the ability to see and go through progressions and read the entire football field. I think Steph is a little bit limited in that regard. I don't think JT is. Um, I, I do think arm strength and their ability to push the ball downfield – is very similar. Um, I think sometimes Stetson uh, struggles a little bit with knowing how to layer the throw in there. Whether are you okay? You're gonna hang it up there. You're gonna drive it in there. I think sometimes that might be a little bit of an issue. But I do believe the play calling has been different, and there's no better evidence than the fact that uh, you know I said this on another show on on yesterday's show. JT Daniels has missed five games this year. He has he has attempted thirty fewer passes than Stetson Bennett. That tells you a lot about what you need to know. Not only that, seven starts for JT, four games of 30 or more passes. Eight, nine starts for Stetson. I have always have a hard time keeping up with those. Uh, only one game where he's attempted more than 30 passes, and that was against Alabama. So I do think the play calling is very different between them, but I don't necessarily – it comes down to the ability to make throws as much as it does the ability to see the entire field, to read the entire field – and make the decision to use the entire field. Uh, but but I think we've seen both guys create explosive plays for the offense, and both guys make throws in the tight windows. And uh, and so that's kind of the way I look at it. Uh, Hooper Dog from the Dogs 24-7 message board. Not Hooper Dog. The H is not cut off this time. If you were UGA, Kip, would you put, who would you push for Heisman, Davis or Dean? Would Dean have a better shot? Well – for one, we know that neither of those players have a, a legitimate shot. I would say that, again, just knowing the the history of this award and knowing that statistically 
even um, if Kenneth Walker at Michigan State is the front runner, he might not even have you know a great shot just because of you know quarterback play and and how much of a focal point that's been in the Heisman race. But defensive players, you know, it's just that's an uphill battle just to get to New York. Um, but you know, if you're looking at Georgia and you're looking at kind of the 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 face of this defense, it still has kind of been. Jordan Davis getting a lot of the limelight, but Nicobe Dean, as far as just the plays that you can see, the plays that most fans are going to notice. I mean, Nicobe Dean obviously made a big impact in, in, in that last game over Florida. And if he continues to make those kind of plays, uh, he's definitely going to get a lot more, you know, national discussion and, and, you know, fanfare as well. So, if you want to talk about Georgia's defense, and that's really going to be kind of that that push as far as if somebody gets you know the the Heisman invite, it's going to be the team stats first, and then you know just the impact that player has in the, in the defense. And Nakobe might be a guy that kind of stuffs the stat sheet a lot more than Jordan Davis. So, you know, I kind of do like his chances in that aspect. But I mean you know, talking to anyone, they're, they're going to tell you that it's pretty obvious when Jordan Davis is on the field, the impact he has just in the, the offense's ability to the move the football, whether that's, you know, getting pressure on the quarterback, uh, you know, whether that's stuff, you know, stuff in the run. And also, again, obviously taking on double teams and allowing the guy behind him, the Kobe Dean to make all those plays. So, and that's a really good question. I think as far as awards go, I think the Kobe Dean's probably going to be the guy that, that has more national fanfare, whether that's the Buckus Award, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, again, getting some Heisman love, you know, the Bednark, whatever, whatever award he's in the mix for, uh, I think his stats are going to give him a better chance than Jordan Davis. Jordan's just kind of that been that face of the Georgia defense so far this season. Neither of them are probably going to be going to New York for the Heisman unless, you know, they're really playing a lot of football the rest of the year. And, you know, at this point, given the schedule, they're probably not going to be playing a lot of snaps, you know, in, in the third and fourth quarter if Georgia's playing the way that it should be against these opponents. So I don't know. We may be seeing the peak as far as where they are, Nicobe, you know, in the stats for linebackers. That that might actually be something that, that keeps them – you know, maybe from getting the buckets, which would, you know, probably be a shame. It really kind of begs the question, you know, if you're making an impact and getting off the field, uh, isn't that the whole point of the defense rather than stuffing stats and, and having, you know, to make more tackles for prolonged drives? Georgia's defense is maybe too good for, for its own good in the awards situation, but I don't think any of those players or Kirby Smart's really worried about that right now. Not at all. And I'll say this, uh, just a super quick chime in here. Um, there's all the data in the world to support Georgia on the recruiting trail. Not that they're having trouble recruiting either position. With linebacker, you. Defensive line, if you want to push somebody, neither guy's going to win it. But which one would it help Georgia more with if they made it to New York? Jordan Davis, because then you want to talk about a set. You want to talk about a pitch. That's even that's right there with, you know, a bunch of first rounders is, hey, we got a defensive lineman to, to you know, what is it? Ready? Well, what do they do at the downtown athletic club? I guess it is in uh, New York. But yeah, you got to so, get yeah. I almost said I almost said Radio City Music Hall. But that was uh, the NFL draft, I think, back in the day. 
Uh, that was that. where it was. That was where it was at regularly. But yeah, get a defensive lineman to New York for the Heisman, and you recruit like Georgia does. Again, not that they're having any trouble with it. We just had a podcast a few days ago about adding two elite defensive linemen. So, but you know, another recruiting tool there would definitely wouldn't hurt. But um, yeah, both guys, neither guy's going to win it. Super long shot for either guy to make it. If anybody's going to, it's going to be Jordan Davis because he's got some Heisman traction with some national voices now. Um, and because it's almost Kip, it's almost like the cool thing. It's almost like, oh yeah, there's no clear Heisman front runner. Let's put this guy in there that impacts things, but doesn't put up big stats. But everybody knows he's a beast. People and, like and being different, like, man. Have if you have a different opinion, it, it gets you the views. And then yeah. also, you see those mock draft articles, and you're like, why are we seeing those in October, November? I don't think, uh, you know, I, I don't think Kirby Smart he publicly he would he would hate just bringing that up. But as far as his support staff, I'm pretty sure all those mock drafts get, get sent out and, and sent to all the recruits, letting them know that Jordan Davis coming back for a senior year, how, how big that was and how he's, he could be a first rounder right now. So just, you know, think about that again, when you, when you see the mock draft and you're wondering why, why they're out this early and, and them not meeting anything, it's, it, that's still some, some positive recruiting, uh, pitches for Georgia right now. Like you said, they're not really struggling in recruiting right now. I can't think of a program with with more recruiting equity than what Kirby Smart and his staff have right now. Yep, and uh, they're definitely using the ones that help them as far as those mock drafts go. Uh, King Georgia, do you think Zamir White should get more carries, like 20 a game? I don't know about 20 a game, but yes, he, he needs to get more carries. And the reason I say this is because you know, it's a constant debate on on the on the dogs twenty four seven junkyard, and and King Georgia is one of those guys. Hooper Dog is one of those guys. L. Johns is one of those guys. Who's Georgia's best running back? And you know, all four guys get mentioned: Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, Zamir White, and James Cook. I'm of the opinion I think Zamir White is Georgia's best back, and I think Zamir White ends up kind of losing out a little bit on production and putting up huge numbers because Georgia is not playing full football games in terms of, you know, they're just getting big leads and he's running it. If he does run the ball in the fourth quarter, he's running against stacked boxes. And oftentimes he doesn't run the ball in the fourth quarter and he doesn't get a chance to run against the defense. He helped wear down. He doesn't get a chance to pop the 42 yard run that he popped against Florida last week. Uh, so I think all of that um, is a reason why you don't see Zamir White putting up these massive numbers um, and listen, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle put up those massive numbers without some of that too. Georgia blew a lot of teams out in 2017. Uh, but those guys were doing it with, you know, super long touchdown runs early in games. And teams were stacking the box against Georgia. And Jim Chaney did a fantastic job of scheming against that. And, you know, teams were basically killing themselves against Georgia in 2017 because they had so many men near the line of scrimmage that once you broke through the first wave, good luck chasing these dudes down. They were hard enough to tackle one on, I mean, uh, you know, two on one in the box, and then you leave them one on one with the safety game over, big run after big run after big run. Teams are playing Georgia a little bit differently now, and sometimes it's tougher to be super explosive in a run game when teams have to respect your pass because you've got a couple of safeties at the third level that you've got to beat out, or maybe a cornerback. You've got a a, a group of linebackers that are honoring the pass at the second level. Um, it's, it's, that's, that factor is in there. Uh, but, but to answer the overall question, yeah, I think he needs more carries a game. I think he's a guy that you need to get up to around 15 to 16. And when it's necessary, when you need it, 
um, workhorse and because he takes care of the football. And that's something we've seen other guys not do as great a job of. You know, Kendall Milton had a fumble earlier this year. Um, I think he was down. Replay didn't overturn it. Replay did overturn Kenny McIntosh, which who did fumble against Florida. Uh, James Cook's done a good job taking care of it, but you're talking about a kind of a limited number of carries and um, a a higher volume of touches in space that kind of helps you maybe uh, get out of the fray and and not have to worry about getting stripped as much. Uh, So that was uh, that's kind of the way I look at it. I think Zamir White is Georgia's best back and needs to touch the football somewhere. Um, you know, above north of 15 times a game, especially um, when games are within reach there in the fourth quarter. All right, Kip, last um, – sorry, not last one from our Dogs 24-7 folks. Um, McDonough Dog 16, when do you think all of the above turn the corner – okay, sorry, I, I read that as return. Turn the Injury corner update. into being able to use them without any limits. Jermaine Burton, Arian Smith, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, Justin Robinson – um, I'll add this, Kip, before you get started. Justin Robinson didn't even make the trip to uh, to uh, where uh, Jacksonville. So, you know, don't even know when he's going to be back. He's dealing with a hamstring. Those things are tricky. But Jermaine Burton, Arian Smith, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, uh, when do you think those guys will be unlimited? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's progress. I mean, they're, they're getting closer and closer each week. It seems like – you know, it's moving in a good direction right now. Uh, I think you, you just look at, uh, you know, the last game, I think really, really impressed by the wide receiver group they were able to put out there. But, I mean, Jermaine Burton, I mean, Arian Smith got in on some plays. Jermaine Burton, you know, he seems to be close to where he was before. Um, you know, I, w- I was really, really in- impressed with, with what I saw out of those guys, but I – one guy that I'm really looking forward to. I mean, it does seem like, you know, we might be able to see Dominic Blaylock here, you know, pretty soon. That's a guy that, you know, continues to battle that hamstring injury. But Jermaine Bird's the guy that we thought would be the most complete receiver this year. And, and you know, he, he's, he's getting some snaps out there, but it seems like, you know, they are sticking with the guys that are, you know, have kind of, played a lot more football so far and kind of focusing on those sets and honed in on the guys that he, that he trusts right now. But you know that when they, when they need guys like Jermaine Burton and, and Marcus Rosemey Jackson, that those are guys that he can also trust. It's just a matter of, again, we talk about it at the quarterback position. You can be cleared to play and you can be considered 100%, but you kind of have to hit the reset button. It's basically like you're going back to preseason. And, you know, these guys are having to work their way back in. It's basically like August all over again for these guys when you go through some of these injuries. So I think that that's the practice during the week is really, really just going to be important for these guys. And uh, we talk about, you know, the offense, how is it running with with JT versus Stetson? You know, these guys still have yet to really see all all their their receivers on the field at one time. So. And that could be affecting the playbook a little bit. And, you know, you got different different plays that kind of take advantage of each guy's skill set. And so I, I think that if you're if you're close to getting Marcus Rosemey Jackson out there, if if you're close to getting Burton out there at 100 percent and the, those guys are capable of explosive plays and they're capable of taking advantage of, of you know, breakdowns in the secondary. So. 
you know, I, I think it's encouraging that it seems like they're they're making progress. But I mean, it's it's during the week, and it's it's that parts of practice that you know we really don't have access to to really know how close they are to to kind of really being out there. So, I mean, each Saturday kind of gives us a little bit of a hint of where things stand. And as of right now, it's you know it's still kind of the the status quo. It's frustrating for fans because they want to see 450 yards passing each game. But I think uh, I think Todd Monk and, and that coaching staff they know what you know who they have going out there, and they they kind of know how to maximize the guys they have. I think they've done a pretty good job of of, of having a very efficient offense out there. And even though it didn't really happen in the Florida game, they've done a pretty good job as far as time of possession and being able to allow that defense that has all those, you know, the the depth that Kirby Smart is is so happy about and saying we might not see again in a long time, and able to keep those guys rested and fresh, you know, for for when teams may have longer drives that they have to really buckle down on. So, you know, the, getting those guys back in the, in the next three or four games is, is probably the, the key right now to, to Georgia being able to, field the offense that everyone's been looking for. So I think that's a good question and one that we'll just continue to watch and see and see what how they look on Saturday. You know, and another point I want to make here, I, we don't really know how limited they are in general anyway because they missed some time. And these other guys like Kiaris Jackson and, and Lab McConkey and, and A.D. Mitchell, they kind of grew and developed during that time where these other guys didn't. So – um, part of it may be limiting putting them on a pitch count. Part of it may be because they don't haven't earned the reps yet, and these other guys are kind of just a little bit better. Um, but but I do believe if right now, if you were looking at a playoff game or the SEC championship game, and Georgia needed Jermaine Burton to play 30, 40 snaps, he'd play 30, 40 snaps. Same all for Marcus Rosemey, uh, Jack Saint, uh, same for Arian Smith. I think all three of those guys would play a lot of snaps for Georgia if they were needed right now. And uh, and but but right now they're I th- I, th- I really do believe they're playing a little bit of catch up on uh, on McConkie and Mitchell and, and Kiaris Jackson. Um, last one, Kip uh, from our Dogs twenty four seven crew. Uh, real quick here, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. How did you experience the Braves World Series win? I explained my story. Cable went out, went downtown, got a text from Palmer Toms, my former intern, shot me a text, and he said, "Hey." Uh, is your uh, is your cable still out? And I was like, yes. Trying to watch it downtown. He said, come watch it in my house if you want to. Made a beeline straight there. Ain't trying to get no COVID from college kids. So I went straight there. Um, and uh, <laughs> I don't want any of that college COVID. It's the worst kind. Went to Palmer's house and uh, and watched it there. Caught like the last three and a half innings. It was a lot of fun. Kip, how'd you experience it? Uh, in slow motion. Uh, every single pitch was was a game within itself. Um, I mean, the game really slowed down there toward the end. Obviously, with uh, the Braves kind of uh, having in what we now know was a clearly insurmountable lead in that game, but uh, we needed we wanted five more runs every inning. We were telling each other how many runs we needed each inning to feel better about it. Um, every base I, hit felt like a two run homer. Yep, and, and every 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 single uh, pitch that was a ball, I was like, "All right, we got to get somebody up in the bullpen." Max is losing it. I mean, the kid's hitting ninety eight, and then he goes, you know, he's never he hasn't even hit that before, and then he's hitting ninety ninety one. So I'm freaking out because he's losing his velocity. You know, everything was kind of uh, magnified. I, I sent one 
semi-positive text to our, our co-worker, Tim Watts, and he gave me the business uh, for texting him before the game was over. Uh, and so I, I made sure to, to not send another one. Um, and, and so he reminded me that, that baseball is, is a game of rules and I had broke one of the Cardinal ones. And so, uh, I, I, I experienced, you know, what all of us did, but it's, it's just so weird. Like I said, the fact that I was 14, the last time this happened, just to age myself there. Um, it's just a very different experience, Uh, obviously with social media, I don't think the amount of content that I've consumed in the in the last twelve hours is probably more than I could mentally handle in a month. It's it's insane how much content that you know we get on social media. Every single tweet we're trying to devour as much as we can now that we've gotten to the other side and we're you know the, the world champs. So you can't send me enough things to look at now. And so that concept, that, that content consumption aspect of it, it's my brain is, is really, really uh, hurting right now because I, I stayed up to a, a ridiculous time uh, trying to consume it all to make sure I didn't miss anything uh, talking about any aspect of that game. It was just an incredible experience. And uh, Brian Snicker, I mean, the, what they did, how they handled that bullpen and how they handled the outfielders. I mean, Every single movie made, we we were we were breaking down and, and trying to criticize, but he got it done. And so now we we have the whole offseason to think about uh, who we're going to re-sign and all, all the potential mistakes we might make uh, in trying to build this team for next season. But uh, it was it was slow motion for me, and um, a lot of a lot of text sent out, and um, maybe a little bit of uh, emotion in the living room last night. Yeah, I got a little emotional today watching that Buster Olney improbable all for Hank type deal. That was pretty cool. Um, All right, Craig Lawson, YouTube commenter. Appreciate your question here. Do you think Georgia football will reach a point under Kirby where nobody feels the need to question or and or defend personal choices at quarterback, personnel choices, sorry, at quarterback? Doesn't seem to be a consistent issue to other top programs. Now, all right, I feel like your question kind of crosses itself up a little bit here. Um, Consistently? Probably, you know, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, will it get to a point where the quarterback quarterback decision isn't consistently um, questioned? Sure. I think that's a, that's a thing that every program can achieve. But will it get to a point where people just don't do it? No, it won't because Lincoln Riley, all right? Lincoln Riley put two number one quarterbacks, two Heisman Trophy winners in a row, another guy into the second round, had fans yelling from the stands for him to replace the quarterback he had in the game this year. All right, so that happened to him. Nick Saban, the whole Tua Tua Jalen Hurts thing, that wasn't 10 years ago, folks. It was within the last five, and that was a question. It was also a question as whether or not, hey, are you really going to start Mac Jones over Bryce Young? Now, Mac Jones quieted that pretty quickly. but I think one of the things you have to consider here is that sometimes there's a lot that we just don't know. No, I'm wrong. All the time, there's a lot we don't know. Okay. So I think, you know, 
your your decisions as a coach are going to be questioned. Kip just brought up Brian Snicker, and the dude did everything right pretty much in the World Series. I questioned every single thing he did as a fan. I know you guys are going to do that with coaches. Um, you know, we had somebody asking about Zamir White a minute ago. There are people who question year in and year out, why does Georgia rotate so much at running back? There are people who question year in and year out, why does Georgia rotate so much at receiver and nobody has a chance to put up numbers? That kind of stuff is going to get questioned. And the quarterback thing seems – the scream seems so loud because it is quarterback. But I would say this. If Stetson Bennett is Georgia's starter for the rest of this season, and I think that's possible. I, I think JT Daniels is better. There is a reason. There's an and, and it's not because Kirby Smart wants to play ball control because he said the other day, ball control means scoring points. Ball control means – Kirby Smart is a defensive head coach. Kirby Smart is, is fixated – Okay, on on making a team one dimensional, you know, how you make a team one dimensional better than any other way. You you score points on them. You make them play catch up and you make them chase points. You put them in a you put them in a rut and you make them have to operate from that rut. And Kirby Smart wants to score points. He wants to be explosive on offense. Kirby Smart's not married to this familiarity. Listen, I don't know if the guy can win a championship or not, okay? And I'm not sitting here saying I think he's a great college football coach. I think there are are guys that are better. But I do kind of crack up at this this kind of stubborn um, way of thinking that people think he's stubborn and just wants to play who he's familiar with or he's, you know – loyal to seniors or loyal to this. I mean, he named JT Daniels the starter at the beginning of the season. He took him to SEC media days. When JT Daniels is is performing and, and preparing like Georgia's best quarterback, whether it's because of injury or mechanics or uh, mentally or whatever it is, whenever he's there, he's going to be the starting quarterback. But until then, he's not. And we ha- A, we have no choice but to trust the guys who see it, pour over the film, and have the expertise – but B, you should because they're more qualified to make that decision, and that doesn't mean they're right all the time. All right, next question. All right, here we go. Chase Barbie, Kip, so did JT and Stetson come back next year? Uh, I would say that the chances of both of them coming back to Georgia are not high. Uh, you know, if – Let's say Stetson does start the rest of the season. He's coming back next year. If JT comes back and plays enough to have enough video for the draft, he's probably going to do go do that. If JT is not starting, then he's probably going to evaluate his options there as well. I think that the chances of JT being on the team next year, it, it's a it would be a very it's a very small window of circumstances that would have to play out for, for JT to come back next year. Um, I think it's really the situation where, you know, he evaluates the fact that he hasn't put enough film out there, but still feels this is the best situation for him to potentially put, you know, to, to get film out there for NFL scouts next year, if that's still a goal of his. And uh, I mean, I would imagine it is. Otherwise I think that, film or no film i think that you know knowing that he's eligible to go out there and he's he's you know performed fairly well in the games he's played at georgia you know in the end he might think you know i'm gonna roll the dice and and see what happens in that aspect but 
I don't, it's just a very, very specific situation where one JT comes back, but definitely, you know, JT comes back if Stetson Bennett is still considered the starting quarterback for Georgia. I agree with that. And, and uh, there's a question in here that I want to hit real quick um, from Rick Sanchez that I see. He says, so why does he want to run a two-quarterback system? Man, he does not want to run a two-quarterback system. He does want every team – listen, you got to think from – okay, put yourself in Kirby Smart shoes. As a defensive coordinator for nine years, a head coach now for six, don't you think over the years that he's kind of – based on his actions, he's kind of – expressed how much it meant to him as a defensive coordinator when he had to prepare for two quarterbacks. I think that is something that he wants other teams to have to do on a consistent basis. There's no desire on Georgia's part to run a two quarterback system. They want a guy to take the reins to be the guy and to move on with. Uh, but right now they're not doing that. They're playing just that's minute. And uh, we'll see if JT Daniels can overtake him and, and what it takes for JT Daniels to overtake him. Is he healthy? Is he right mechanically? Is he right mentally? Is he is he into it? It you know all of this stuff. I think that's all stuff you have to kind of consider. All right, college football playoff UGA nihilist edition. Nihilist makes me think of Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. All right, Ohio State, Oregon, and Oklahoma went out. All three conference champs. OU undefeated. Bama beats Georgia in Atlanta. Is UGA out? It's a good question. It's a really Depends good. Depends on the game. Um, yeah, based on how that game goes. Uh, based on how Oklahoma wins out, based on how Oregon wins out, um, you know, again, that's super, super tough uh, to answer that one because there's just so many games to be played. I think Georgia would have a chance to be in, and uh, that's about as far as I could go. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Georgia's, you know, their body of work is is still very strong and arguably would still be stronger in a close loss to Alabama than Oregon or Oklahoma. You know, I, I, I think I was actually very surprised, you know, with Oregon being number three, uh, that does bode well for their chances, but for Oklahoma, I, I just don't see it. I don't see the rest of their schedule and, and who they, they have to play. I don't see them building a strong enough resume as long as that game is close in Atlanta. Uh, you know, Georgia should still, should still be in the college football playoff just because again uh the way the defense is played uh they've been efficient on offense i mean if we're talking about a 21 you know 17 loss then i think georgia's still done enough to get in but at the same time it does i mean it, it does kind of put it up in, in in the hands of this committee and it's just that's definitely not where kirby smart wants to be i mean you Again, you win that game, you don't have to worry about it, and that's the whole goal. But to answer your question, I think Georgia gets in as long as that's not a rough loss. If it's if it's single digits, you know they lost, then I, I think that, that they still would get in. But again, that's still opinion based, and it's still that would be up for debate and something that would probably be discussed all night. But if they lose by double digits, that situation's probably the worst case scenario. Yeah, and if you're Kirby Smart, you want to be 13-0 and 0 as you're waiting for that college football selection show, and then you want to have your pick of uh, of Miami or Dallas. I mean, I don't think you explicitly get to pick, but you get to tell what you prefer, and you often almost always get a chance to pick what you prefer. And I think pretty much if anything other than Georgia being matched up with, uh, with Oklahoma, 
um, they're gonna they're gonna choose Dallas because of the lack of distractions uh, in in Dallas over Miami. If, uh, if Georgia were to get matched up with Oklahoma in the first round, let's say they're thirteen and zero, Oklahoma's the four seed, Georgia's the number one seed. They're probably gonna pick Miami because they don't want to play basically, you know, as close to Oklahoma's backyard as you can get in the college football playoff. Uh, Rick Sanchez, I want to hit you up one more time. We're having a private conversation here uh, on this live YouTube show. He did say he wanted to play two quarterbacks. That's lip service. Kirby Smart also says guys are day-to-day when they're going to miss an entire year. He just wants teams to have to prepare for both quarterbacks. In no way does he want to run a two-quarterback system. Kip, let's get out of here and go read some more Brave stuff and talk some more to our families and friends about the Braves. And uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow to talk more dogs to make our predictions for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. He's Kip Adams from the same place. Go Braves and take it easy.